All right, folks. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Bucks America podcast. I am your host, Jeff. I have a returning guest, Dakota Miller. Now, the ones that, for those who tuned in for the last YouTube episode that him and I sat down, we had some really weird audio issues, and I felt bad for the whole situation, but we still really, I still released the podcast. But this time, I wanted to bring him back on after his triumphant turkey season. I mean, this guy jumped around. He was involved with over a different dozen different turkey encounters. He helped a lot of his friends and, and his girlfriend get a bird. He, on top of himself, he, he managed to punch four tags himself. And I really want to know what he did and everything that's gone through. And we were talking previous prior to hitting record about what he did to prepare for these hunts. And I want to set him up to really break down everything because being having a, over a dozen uh, turkey counters encounters is still a respectable feat and it's not an easy thing to do and it almost like dakota before i continue on how what was your success rate for all of your trips was it like 90 percent, 100 percent success rate um yeah i think uh every single uh hunt i went on i was uh, successful except for my very first one so yeah i was i, I was I had some pretty good luck this year for sure. <laughs> so you, you, so you had pretty much a, a, a perfect record for 2023. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. I mean, that's still a really thing to admire that somebody able to do it, but that's where I want to find out what you did to prepare yourself for it. And granted there's, there's, it's a combination of luck and preparedness equals success. And I want you to talk about prepared preparedness to equal the luck aspect to create the success. So why don't you take it off and start from the like the very beginning of your season okay well it was uh i think it was mid uh mid-march uh me and my younger brother drake we started our season uh uh down in actually florida down there and down near the everglades and okay uh we got down there later in the season than we wanted to and i have a friend of mine down there uh she has an outfitting business and she invited us down there to hunt down there and, uh, we were, we didn't, we didn't have any luck, but we did, uh, we, we seen birds. They just, I think it was just late in the season where they just weren't really wanting to come into the decoys or calling much. So what we're thinking next year, we'd like to try to get down there maybe first or second week of season when they're more active because they start their, okay. uh, uh, mating season earlier down there than most states. So we were down there a little late and I think that kind of made a difference and, I, uh, I could have a harvest one on, uh, I think it was the second or third morning. Me and my little brother were in a ground blind and we heard one golem behind us way off. And then all of a sudden he popped up in front of me. I didn't even see him right in front of us in front of the decoy in front of the blind at the decoy. Okay. And then by the time we got the camera on everything, I was, I was just trying to film it all. He, he kind of knew something was up and kind of skirted off, but other than that, not no birds wanted to really come to any decoys or much calling at all. They were just kind of, they just kind of feed with the, he the hens they were with. And that was about it the whole trip. So one thing we learned is maybe try to go a little early in the season next year. And uh, when they're a little more active, because they, they did kill a lot the two and three weeks prior to that. Okay. So that was uh, just kind of, so what, what was, what would you say that was some, a couple of hiccups you had prior to that day starting? Or what was what was some of the things that stuck out in your mind that didn't go the way you thought it would? Maybe elaborate more on a few aspects. Um, I'd say there uh, for for down there for a couple of things I think we learned a lot. Uh, 
not not uh, to call a little less down there. It just seemed like those birds down there just didn't didn't really like much calling. So I think that's another thing we learned is not to call too much. So that was kind of something I think we messed up on, just called at them too much, and they knew something just wasn't right because they just didn't talk much down there as we learned throughout the week. And um, and even uh, not using a jig decoy down there, just maybe sticking a head out there and trying that, I think, was something we kind of talked about maybe to try differently. Okay, that's a good that's a good way to change and stuff. Now, the land you were on, you, you you'd mentioned it as an outfitter. Is this public land that you were hunting on? Uh, the piece we were on was private, but it, it butted right up to a piece of public ground. Which there was a lot of hunters in there, and a couple of them I seen had success as well. But uh, it was right up against public uh, ground, like an, it was like an old uh, cattle ranch we were on. Okay, so I wonder with being so close to that there was since there were so many so many so much presence out there maybe that could have also contributed to the birds almost not really being too talkative because while you were out there three weeks prior to the start of the season yeah that's yeah it was another thing also yeah we were kind of thinking with with as many hunters we've seen and we uh heard quite a few shots around us basically every single day we were kind of taking that too they're just a little little nervous on edge especially towards the end of the season like that for sure. That makes sense though. That, that does add a, an element of strategy and how you want to do it. So maybe getting out there week one, instead of week three, you probably will give you that tactical advantage. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what we were kind of thinking too for next year. And so what did you, what, what was your, uh, what bird were you going after in Florida? That was the Osceola. Osceola. Okay. I didn't know if Florida had, I know Osceola is the primary bird in Florida. I don't know if they had any other species in Florida or if it's just the Osceola. Yeah. The, the Easterns are in the North part and then down the Southern part is the Osceola. Oh, okay. That, 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 that makes sense then. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a river or a highway, maybe both that kind of split it down the center down there that they say below that's the Osceola and above that's the Eastern. I'm not sure if that's correct, but I've heard that from a few people. Oh, that could, that makes, that probably is the case may be then. So after, after your, your time in Florida, where'd you go next? Uh, we were back for a few weeks and me and my little brother, Drake, again, we went out to, uh, Iowa. I think it was the first or second week of April. Yeah. It was the second week of April, actually. Uh, I think it was Easter weekend. We went out there and, uh, uh, this was an outfitter too, but I, I met a, uh, uh, the, a friend of mine, he works out there and they actually just started having turkey hunts out there last year. And for Iowa, actually, it's something a little different, something if you ever want to hunt Iowa, you actually have to apply for a turkey tag for a non-resident. You actually have to apply, uh, I think it's, I think January 1st to, um, uh, I think the 30th, you have to actually apply for a, sorry about that. I, it, it's all right, man. It's technology. You never know when things are going to go weird for you. Yeah, that was my bad. So I was, I was moving the camera a little bit and it went off of it. I'm sorry. <laughs> no big deal. At least the audio is fine and the, 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 it was just a minor hiccup here. So now you're talking about Iowa and you were explaining to us about the the application process prior to getting your getting your tag to hunt in Iowa. Yep. And uh, yeah, so you have to do that if you're a non-resident prior to that to get your tag. And it's usually pr pretty easy to get one there, but now I guess more hunters are doing it. So we were at me and my little brother were the only ones that actually uh, for that outfitter that got our tag that year. So we went out there opening week of their season. And so we basically had the farms to ourselves. And 
I went there the year before, so I knew a little bit about the property and uh, there's no guy or nothing. We just basically went out there and listened to what the owner and their, uh, the friend of mine out there that helps him told me kind of where the birds were, but we went out there and uh, kind of was trying to almost see where they were roosting the night before we got there. And then the next morning we went back and got in a blind and uh, it was, it was pretty incredible. We had, I think 17 different long beards, uh, goblin and i think we ended up seeing i think about 12 of them and, and we we're in i mean these fields are huge out there and uh i think we ended up seeing about 12 to 14 uh tom turkeys that morning it was absolutely incredible and uh a bunch of hens with him and then we me and my little brother we tried to double on some and we kind of miscommunicated he shot before me but he got one and then the other one just was flew away, but I mean, there were still birds all over in the fields that were far off and we worked all morning, had no luck. And then it was just the population out there was really just something this year. I mean, every morning, every property we were on, just seeing multiple long beards and hens with them. And then on the third day, we were able to uh, get my, yeah, I got myself one there on a, a different farm about a mile away from where my little brother got his. Oh, that's exciting. So when you were in Iowa, how long did you and your brother plan on initially being in Iowa? I, I we planned on hunting for four days. Uh, uh, yeah, four days, two days of travel out there. So yeah, we planned on hunting four days. Okay. All right then. Yeah. Cause you do have the travel to get back to get back to home and such. So that's pretty interesting then. So you, you just, you, that's nice that you, you took advantage of the Intel you had now during this set, did you set up any decoys or how did you begin your morning of the iowa turkey hunt yes the uh first morning we had a we had a half uh strut jake we had a lay down hen and then uh, just a standing up hen and uh that was what we had the first morning and and really the birds there uh there was so many of them so many hens grouped up every day that i mean they flew down the field with us within 100 yards but all it took probably about an hour for them to eventually work over to us as a group they came over the end they didn't all just the toms didn't break off and come into the decoys because they already had so many hens with them they eventually just kind of worked across as a, a group and then eventually fed into the decoys and the toms kind of started one that uh come into the jake they seen there at the decoys but that was something we learned there too is their early season before they're starting to split off hens a little bit they um they almost, you almost kind of just got to sit there and watch them every day and learn where they kind of feed in the fields and almost set up there where hopefully they're going to walk by with a hen or something or a decoy out there to hopefully they walk by and stand around for a second, give you a shot. Okay. Very cool. Now, what weapon of choice? Now, I'm assuming since you're traveling, you probably, now, when you apply for a tag in Iowa, do you have to choose which weapon you're going to use when you're out there or what tool you're going to use out while you're out there? I'm, I'm pretty... I'm pretty sure you can use uh, either a shotgun or bow, uh, no matter what the tag is. I'm pretty sure I'm not for certain on that, but I'm pretty sure you can. Okay, I just wanted to give the the listeners something to prepare for if they're doing out of state Iowa hunt. Is that the same thing with Florida? If I know it's already past it, but was that an, uh, an either tool option, or did you have to specifically sign with a shotgun or a bow? Um, I think that was the same thing too. I think you could use it for both on that and that you don't have to apply for that tag. You can buy that just over the counter somewhere for Florida. Really? They have yeah. that big of a population where you can go OTC. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. badass. 
Yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was pretty neat to know because I I thought the same thing. I thought I was gonna have to try to draw that, and then the year the year before I went, I learned you didn't have to. And I I didn't know there was that many turkeys down there, but yeah, that was something neat. Man, I didn't. I even, I've heard of people going down there going after Osceola, but never was explained like what the process is for it. So after Iowa, then where'd you go after that? Um, we got home. Uh, I think my, my little brother, he went, I think it was, I think he went to West Virginia and he got one the first morning he was there. I, I wasn't with him there. And then actually the next day he went to Kentucky, he killed one there. And then the day after that, he went to Maryland and shot one there three mornings in a row. I wasn't with him, but he had the camera with him and he went with a buddy to those and he had three and three mornings is pretty neat but wow three for three so what's the so is the is uh maryland is that an otc situation too or do you have to apply for that yeah that was the same thing yep you could get it anytime really so that's pretty cool that you can get three tags in one trip and the fact that he he tagged out every single morning is pretty ba yeah it was it was something something pretty special i was I was going to go down to Kentucky with him when he went, but we had some things come up at home with some work and stuff. So I couldn't go and he ended up going with a buddy of his. And then I actually, that was, I, I didn't go uh, there next, but I went to Tennessee actually after Iowa, after he went to those three States. And I went down there to a friend of mine, he invited me down there. And we, uh, the first morning we were there, I filmed him and, the person that uh, he's good friends with, they hunt on his farm. I filmed him and his buddy uh, both uh, double up on two toms the first morning. And then later that afternoon, he got me on another one and uh, we all killed him the same day as well. That's pretty neat, though, to be to have all your friends be able to fill your tags in one day. It's not always the easiest thing to talk about. So can you since you since you guys had that uh, such a memorable day, can you break down the morning and the afternoon hunt and like what you did and how you prepared for it? What did you guys do with your e-scouting or what was the the steps that allowed you to connect with all three birds that day? Yep. Uh, the, the two that came in the first morning, he, uh, I didn't get down there till late the night before, but, uh, my friend Hunter, he went there to that farm and he actually roosted those birds. He, he seen them in the field right before dark, but didn't see where they flew up exactly. But, he knew they're in the area and we went in there that morning sat probably about we thought we were about 50 yards from where they're roosting but when we got in there it's probably about 150 200 yards actually and they're behind us but they ended up actually flying across the uh cut where there was a big ditch behind us ravine and they were on the other side and they came down and they came across and then just working down this cattle pasture right to us and we had a a full strut uh jake out there and then there was I'm pretty sure a lay down hen and a standing hen there. And they had about three or four hens with them in the tour. And they, the hens fed in first. And then once the toms got over the hill and started seeing those, uh, that Jake, then they, the first one, he came in strutting and gobbling. And then she, he came in, started messing around with the decoys. And the second one kind of held back. And then all of a sudden he come running in there and we actually filmed them for probably five minutes, just beating up on the decoys and, <laughs> of a time and actually the hen came in there too and was using her wing and smacking the hen decoy and was pecking at her head and then eventually they started walking away and not long after that they shot him at the same time and 
but that was a pretty neat hunt. Watch them just come in there and really interact with us within probably 15, 20 yards and no idea we were there. You know, that's one thing you don't see a lot of footage of is a, a hen going after another decoy because we've all seen the photography or videos of big toms just just destroying those uh and then so how about how was your hunt how did that how did that compare to their hunt it was a lot quicker we uh we drove around throughout the day and we were seeing some birds on some of the properties and we tried sneaking around calling on this just didn't work out and then it was it was probably three or four o'clock in the afternoon we seen a couple of toms out in the field on a property he can hunt and so we actually snuck around and came down a field edge and there was uh, an old pond there with a uh, the dam of the pond had like a extra hill of dirt on it with some trees growing on there we actually snuck up within probably 100 yards and actually the whole flock of turkeys were underneath a set of trees in the middle of this field and they're sleeping they're all sleeping there in the middle of the day just they had their heads tucked under their wings and they're all sleeping that was something i've never really seen midday like that a whole group of them and we just kind of sat there and watched and it was neat to watch and eventually they woke up and they started feeding and then my friend hunter i i stood on top of the bank uh, with the the camera on the tripod and the gun and he snuck down around the edge of the the dirt pile or on the dam there and he he had that uh a fan and like that half strut jake and he just kind of stuck it out there and was moving that fan to get their attention and then the hens walked the other way and then those two toms they broke off and ended up coming within i think five yards of me on that dirt mound and had no idea i was there and i filmed them as they they started seeing noticing something wasn't right and they started kind of walking away and but it, by the time i seen him i finally seen him for about five seconds and then i i shot so it was a lot quicker but got all on film and it was pretty neat so in in this setup then did you put up a blind or were you just you managed to to act all like a ninja and, and hide out in plain sight yeah i we didn't have a blind or nothing. I got up behind like this little briar bush and this little stubby tree and just kind of laid there behind it. And we, we managed not to get seen because they were sleeping. I mean, we were within probably, I'd say, 80 yards of them sleeping. We just kind of waited there until they got up and we didn't move. And then eventually when they got up, he just slipped around the corner, dropped down in front of me there and showed him that decoy. And then they eventually worked right in front of us. Oh, that is so, that is interesting to see. Because I've, I've been in tree stands where I've seen turkeys, but... I, they, I just wasn't, they, they saw enough movement is like, nope, I'm going a different direction now. Like, all right, fine. Be that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so was now, a, what's uh, that? It was a pretty neat hunt because I've never been experienced having someone sit behind that decoy and move it like that and have them come by. I've always just sat back and had a decoy out in front of me. I never had someone sit behind it like that. So that was, it was pretty different, neat to watch. Ah, yeah, that would be different to need to watch. Now, I was—I don't know if you've seen these in some of your trade shows, but when I was at the Iowa Deer Classic and the the Dells Open Season event, there was a vendor there that actually has a t promotes you taking remote control cars, putting a decoy on them, and actually running them around and having birds fly into them. I was watching Tim Silva talk about or talking to him about it, he actually have using one at his Iowa farm and managed to get one to go across a creek or a ravine or something like that to come out and, and challenge it. I thought that was pretty neat, but they, they created this fan where this way it actually f opens up and closes of it to kind of give that illusion, that optics for them to do it. Have you ever like thought about doing something like that for S and G's just to see what kind what would happen, especially since you have a camera, you uh, capture a lot of footage. 
no, I've never, even, I never thought about that, but that would definitely be something neat to try. And yeah, I'd definitely be interested in it. I, I actually got like an old decoy. I could probably sit over a remote control truck or yeah, or even try one of those out. Like, Cause that'd be something neat to actually drive around and see how they act towards it and see how close we can get them to us. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Would it be like, I don't know about where you, where you, where you, uh, all the places you hunt in the fall, like Wisconsin, you can get a turkey tag for the fall, but just think of it. You're just out there and you're like, you want to have some fun, but you know, you know, there's turkeys in the area you, while you're out there, uh, deer hunting, you can just put out the decoy and just kind of roam around and see if you can get something to, to come down and attack it. Cause as I talk about two birds and one stone right there, you know, get, get a bird, fill a bird tag and then fill a doe tag or a buck tag. Yeah, that would be something neat to try. I even try it in, yeah, in the fall and even around the deer and see how they act towards it and see how close you can get with it before they think something's up. That'd be definitely something neat to neat to video and cool to see what happens. Right. Now, I have a friend of mine out in South Dakota, and he's been turkey hunting here pretty heavily. Up, I, I'm not sure when their season ends, but he, every time he goes out and he's out there calling, doe, does show up. Well, every time he's out there, do you have any, like when you're, when you're uh, calling for turkeys, do you have deer show up in front of you? Um, every, every once in a while, not too often, but every once in a while. And sometimes they just, they look at the decoys and they, they just don't like it. And then sometimes they'll walk right by and just think it's a normal turkey and not even pay any attention. But, and then sometimes they like I said, yeah, they get all nervous and don't even get close and they start stomping and blowing at it. And. It's funny to watch how sometimes they're completely different. Than yeah. I, I joked with them too. It's like, watch, you gonna go, you're going to go out there during season and all you're going to see is turkeys. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> the best part. Like, I don't know what you're, because uh, you hunt primarily in Ohio, correct? Yes. Yeah. Now with the fall turkey season, do, do you get, uh, what's it? I don't know about the price tag is for you guys, but for here in Wisconsin, like, $27 for a turkey tag. I mean, if you, if you eat the tag, it's not a big deal because it's going back to the, into the DNR, but I have that opportunity to be able to tag it. But do you, do you buy a tag when you're out deer hunting just, just in case you happen to see a turkey? Um, I, when we hunt our private land in Ohio, we actually don't have to have a tag uh, to shoot one, kind of like the deer. So I, I never uh, have bought a fall tag, but I have uh, tried to shoot one, I think twice, but I always... I always missed it with my bow or something like that, but it's something I I really interested in. I really wanted to shoot one in the fall because I've never done that before. But every once in a while we do see him. I've tried to shoot at him, but I always miss or just hit him in the tail fan or something like that, and they always just fly off. But that's something I do want to try to do. And I in uh, I think uh, Ohio turkey tag for a resident for uh, like for spring for us when we go and not hunt our property. I think it was just. About twenty, it was twenty-five to twenty-seven, like yours was. You said there, I think. Yeah. For, well, that's think not it, bad. Sorry, yeah, it's not terrible. And the non-resident, I don't think it's too much more than that. And yeah, you can just buy it if, if you're non-resident, you don't have to draw or nothing like that for Ohio. Yeah, the only with Wisconsin, if you want to get a preference season, you have to, um, you have to put in for back in for spring. You have to put in before, like it's December tenth. It's like right after Thanksgiving, and you only hunt for that week. And then after that, you then after you put in for what if you want week one through week four is the prime the ones then you can buy bonus tags after that i had an opportunity to buy bonus tags but every weekend i have something planned up until after uh i think it was the uh, oh what was it i think it was right after easter is a lot of the seasons opened up in, in demand stuff like that. but i had something planned every single weekend to go get something done 
Like the best we're going to go, go on and hunt was this past weekend, but I wanted to go get my bow work done. It's like, I've been working, I've, I've had this bow forever. I got, I recently, uh, got my a3 strings in i tell you what they are a game changer i've never shot a string like this before because you know how you you have like factory strings or gas or vapor you're drawing back and you have a little sponginess to it well since these are already pre-cycled and pre-stretched it's it's just they're already you ready to go so it actually feels like you're in more control as the draw cycle goes through. Cause I was having some issues with my poundage. Like I've actually had the roller guard almost fall off the, uh, the roller. I don't want, I don't know what you want to call it, but it's uh, actually holds it on there. Cause I have an expedition and it, it has, it has some travel with it. When you're drawing, when you go from uh, it's a 34 axle axle, uh, deluxe or DLX. And as I, as it was below 50 pounds, as I'm drawing it back, I see the roller guard come back. I can see it actually click over the rod. And now I can see why what happened the last time. Because I, cu I uh, cut my servings last fall, just shooting in my, in my garage. And now we kind of understand what happened to it. The whole thing is I drew back, I let go, and all that energy just popped it right off. And it's like, I, after seeing the, the, sever the cut in the servings, like, well, this bow's done until I pull the trigger on my new strings. We spent me and the mad scientist Jeremy uh, Fisher from the Toxin app. We he we put it all together, got all peeped out, got it all set up. Now, what um, another key factor of A3 strings is that they ha they work with Bloodline Fiber out of Minneapolis. It allows them to it's a it's a slick fiber material, and, it, and it's it's a anti wax. So you just you don't have to wax it. It's water resistant. So when you're out in uh, in um, areas that are have a lot of moisture or if you're in a rainstorm it's going to help you out and where was i going with this oh i was going to say that uh it's just after getting it all sided in it's just it just feels different it feels like it's like it's the it's what a product should be before it hits gets gets onto your bow i tell you what it's a, it is a game changer on the whole process and there's a lot of a lot of people that really enjoy a3 archeries and oddly enough they're only I think they're they're about 50 minutes from where I live, and I sat down with Brent last fall. If you if you're a guy that holds on to your bow, I would recommend upgrading your your strings for it, just because it's one of those ones that'll last you two or three years before you have to cycle it out. I have a friend of mine who's telling him about my experience with my bow, but he says like I sell my bow so quickly, I don't see I don't, he doesn't have the the urge to buy new strings for it. Now I have an elite that I've had since 2016. I've had my uh, expedition now for going on the second year and it's just one of those things that it's it's a, a good product to add to your arsenal it's a little tricky tying in your peep because sometimes it can it can slide on you but if you know what you're doing you don't have to worry about that aspect of it all but i tell you what and it's just i'm really happy to get it all done like this on wednesday i'm already while you and i were talking we're, before i jumped on the podcast i was messaging my friends like hey i'm gonna go shoot wednesday who all can who call can make it and now they're all responding back to me after lunch or after work Letting me know, like, hey, I could be out there, da da da. So it's like I'm gonna, I'm excited to to go out there and launch the fling some arrows and have two bows set it in. So I have one for hunting, one for 3D, and it's like I'm pretty excited about this season. Yeah, that's for that's for sure. That's that sounds awesome. I hope uh, I hope they uh, sight in for you real good, and I'm anxious to hear how it does for you. I'm looking forward to it too, because 
a lot of people say when you get new strings, you have to go through a breaking period, like right, right around 100 to 150 arrows. Well, with the A3 strings, you don't have that. It's just like it's good to go immediately put them on there. So there's no breaking period. And a lot of people say, now this is from factory st st strings. I can't, I can't comment on any of the other ones out there, but a lot of people say once they switch from the factory strings to an A3 strings, they usually will see an, on average, a 3 to 5 FPS increase, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, I've never heard that. That's pretty awesome, man. That's what's uh, that's what a lot of people say on there. They have a, a Facebook group, and that's consistently what a lot of them say when they when they swap them out. A lot of them will want they want to challenge that that statement, and so they'll set up their chronograph, they'll fling a few arrows prior, record it, place a string, fire a few more arrows, and they'll see the increase. I have a buddy of mine, uh, Ben, out there in South Dakota, and he saw a difference in his darting strings when he went from factory darting to the a3 strings yeah it was it was about like three or four fps increase but hey you'll you got to take those wins when you got them yeah that's something that's pretty neat i'll have to look into that that's pretty awesome oh yeah heck yeah man and every once in a while he'll do he'll do deals too so it's like you have to just be patient on facebook uh, he, he doesn't he never tells any any of any of his uh uh when he's going to do his specials but he just re, he, he just increased his store and put a few new, few new items in there too as well so if you want to get hats or koozies or shirts hoodies he increased that too as well it's is an absolute brett brent is an awesome dude oh fantastic guy um but um getting back to your next hunt so you get you you you, uh, you triple tagged out on one day where'd you go next after that um I think I went home there for a week or two. Our our season wasn't open, or it opened up. I think a a week or no, it was it was that following weekend. I'm sorry, uh, in uh, Ohio after Tennessee there, and we didn't have any luck. I know. I think the first day was just it was a rainy, nasty day. We had no luck, and then the second day we got on some turkeys, just didn't have any luck, and then I think it was the following weekend. I seen it was going to be raining in Ohio all week, so. I decided to go down to Kentucky down there where my brother and his uh, friend shot to that one morning. They said they seen and heard more. And I got down there. I drove down there. Um, I think it was a Friday night after work. I got down there late. And I, I slept in my truck in the back seat, And then I got up the next morning and I heard one or two gobbles, no luck. And I walked around all day just the scouting around just didn't hear much and i i, I was seeing scratching or they've been scratching on the hillsides uh and we're, we're in a real steep steep country in kentucky it's it's like it's kind of like smaller mountains kind of like pennsylvania and stuff like that but i was getting up on top of these ridges and i was falling around There's a lot of times midday you can get up there and uh they'll be up there to scratch around feeding and hanging out so i was i walked all the ridges out didn't see or hear nothing but there was sign everywhere so i knew there was some in there then Eventually, I dropped back down to the bottom where we've always had luck uh, midday also once in a while, but a lot of times in the morning where my brother shot his and years prior, we've killed in the bottom. And I got set up down there. I was just sitting there on the ground. This, just I had a slate call and I was just had my, I think I had a, just a hen out there. And I was just calling every 10 to 15 minutes, just loud yelps, nothing was gobbling. And I was just sitting there probably an hour, hour and a half. And I was actually looking at my phone and I happened to look up and a Tom was coming right down the field, probably hundred yards at me, not strutting, never gobble one time at me. And really caught me off guard. If I, if I, if I would have moved that much more, I'm, he would have picked me off because I had no idea he was even there. And I had the camera to my right 
on the tripod, a self film. It's that kind of gave me some cover. And he just, I filmed him come all the way in. I just sat there and moved, didn't move. And then my gun was actually uh, laying on the ground next to me as I sat it down there. So I had to slowly get it up and turn the camera at the same time while I was, while he was coming in, just trying to be real still and make sure he wasn't looking at me when I was moving. But it took a while to get it up there. But by the time we got to the decoys, he messed around for a second. And then I didn't wait too long and I, I took him right there. But I was pretty excited and pretty happy because it was my, my first day down there, really. And uh, I was kind of getting discouraged. I didn't really hear nothing all day or see nothing. And I don't know where it's there he is. So that's why I just, it made me think. And something I learned is always just, you just never know what's going to happen when you're hunting. So just always be ready because you just never know when something's just going to pop out there, even when you don't hear or see nothing while you're turkey hunting. For sure. So now with your trip down there in Kentucky, was this private or public? This was a, a private ground that uh, my dad and grandpa bought years ago. And then we also got a friend that butts up to us. He's an old farmer and he lets us hunt that ground also as well. So it's, it's kind of been somewhere we've just turkey hunted for quite a few years to, uh, down there. We haven't really deer hunted it much, but it's, it's, it's pretty good turkey hunting. Sure. Now, you see, you'd mentioned you'd seen sign while you're walking the ridges. All so other than seeing their footprints, what else should a woodsman look for when they're out hunting turkey? Um, when, you, when you see some leaves and you see it looks like you've been all scratched, scratched or almost ruffled, ruffled up and you take a rake or something like that and you just see it kind of scattered out, that's usually a, a turkey will be walking by and they'll pick that up and they're trying to get bugs and grubs and stuff like that is what that usually is. And that was something I seen a lot of on those hillsides is, I mean, just covered. And, and I mean, sometimes it might be just one or two little spots and then sometimes it might be just a whole area or it's all just, it just looks like. The winds just, uh, just spun it all around, and you can see dirt here, and there's piles of leaves here. It's it's pretty neat to see, and but that's something you can look for when you're scouting is uh, scratching on the ground and and leaves usually. Okay, that's a good way to do it. Next time when you next season when you're out hunting next in 2024, what you could do is if you're in a situation where you don't have to worry about if you're not really focused to you know don't you have a moment where you can actually take your camera out and refilm it. What you could do is just simply record like a eight to 15 second clip of the area then what you can do is like afterwards since we don't give away your position do a voiceover with that and you can explain to you what caught your eye and why you saw it so this way you can give folks the visualization of it because there can be folks all over the country that may have seen this turkey sign but actually don't didn't recognize what it actually is because a lot of us like myself uh the, the, the unsuccessful turkey hunters They'll, they won't know what they're looking for because I usually go based off of when I see feathers or I'll see tracks, but I don't, re I don't really know what I'm looking for when it comes down to disturbed debris to making sure that I'm like actually like, okay, I um, should stay here and sit down and figure out someplace comfortable to call. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that'd be a great idea. Yeah, because when I started out hunting, I had, I had no clue what was there. And I really, if you don't know or never think of it, yeah, I mean, you won't know what it was and my dad taught me that what it was when I was younger after I asked him, but yeah, it's, it's something if, if you don't know, yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't uh, know what it was or know it's Turkey sign. But yeah, I'll definitely do that for sure. There you go. No. So you were, so you wrapped up in, in Kentucky. You said you guys, one of the posts is you connected your girlfriend with a Turkey too. Tell us about that story. And is that, was that her first bird? Yeah, that was the very first Turkey. And, uh, yeah, it was, um, it was last, last, not this past weekend, the weekend before, uh, second to last weekend for our, uh, area here in Ohio. And 
uh, we went down to our uh, property down in Southern Ohio, and it was the first time hunting turkeys there at all this year. The, the numbers just haven't been very good down there the last couple of years, but we decided to go down there and give it a try. And we went down there the night before, and we uh, were doing an evening hunt for them. That's, that's, uh, actually, that's a, a tip I could uh, talk about is, um, yeah, I, I have a lot of luck midday or evening uh, setting up for turkeys. You, you don't. Uh, you don't hear much goblin or or if any kind of like Kentucky, but if you sit there sometimes long enough and you just call, like I said, every ten to fifteen minutes, and you just stay still, or you're in a blind, which is is a lot better because it kind of gets tiring after sitting there quite a few hours and not moving. You never, you just never know when they're going to show up in the evening for a turkey. But uh, I've killed a lot just sitting there in the evenings, just calling every ten to fifteen minutes, and uh, sometimes they'll just come out of, out of nowhere, out of the woods right into the field or wherever you're set up and they just want gobble just come in silent to to a decor i mean if you don't have a decor you don't have to have one but they'll come into the area looking for that hen calling but uh that's one thing we, i've had a lot of success with but back there huh we got there um in the evening we went out for a couple hours we did that but we didn't have we didn't have any luck that time but we didn't get down there until probably an hour and a half before dark which is a little later than i wanted to be so after that uh um something I like to do, I'll go around right, right at dark or right after dark. And I'll go around and I'll take an owl call, an owl call, like a hooter and I'll owl hoot. And they'll sometimes gobble that off the tree then when they fly up to roost at night. So I, I went around and I did that all over the farm. Didn't hear any turkeys. I was like, man, maybe there isn't any down here. So we went back to, uh, for the next morning, we decided to go back to a blind that she actually, uh, she missed a Jake at the year prior. We had an opportunity and she missed. It was her first turkey she shot at, but she missed. And it happens to everybody. <laughs> I missed too a couple of times this year, but we went back there and we were sitting there and it was getting daylight and I, I didn't hear nothing yet. And I hadn't called yet. And I was like, I'll do a couple of this soft yelps. That's a hen just, just talking a little bit. And I did that. Nothing. I waited about two more minutes, did a little bit louder and gobble right probably 50 yards above us just we just happened to sit in that blind and i i went back there the night before and did the owl who didn't hear nothing didn't see any turkeys back there any sign and but they were there they roosted right above our blind and uh we were sitting there and a hen flew down right in, into our decoy set and then another one came off the hillside over here and there was two right in front of us and i told her i said this is good because if the hens are here and they're with our decoys and that's their hens they're going to come in here too and it kind of sounded like a Jake gobble when I heard it. And then three Jakes flew in, they came in there getting to the decoys and, uh, we were getting ready to take the first one. And then the next two came behind her and behind that Jake. And they were just too close to shoot. Cause it would have hit probably the other one. So I just told her to wait. And then all of a sudden I seen something out of the corner of my eye and a big Tom long beard just dropped down the ground from the tree, right in the field with us. And I said, all right, let's wait. And then he just, once they seen him at the ground, those little jakes, they kind of just stood there and he came over half strutted up and pushed those little jakes away from our decoys. And he was with the hens and pushing all the, it was neat to watch. And it was neat for her to watch too. Cause it was the first time seeing that. And they came in there and they're interacting, they're talking all the different turkeys and they're playing with each other. And then eventually they split up enough and the Tom was right there and she made a perfect shot this time. He just dropped right there in his tracks. Oh, that's fantastic. Do you by chance have a turkey call with you? Um, if I have one in here, let me see. 
I got one in I don't have a slate call with me, which that's why I use a lot of. I do have a box call here. Okay, so can you? Do you think you can mimic or mirror the the the, the calls you made that morning with your girlfriend on the box call? Yeah, I gotta try here. Just, I just did some yelps. That's all I did. But I just did that twice and started out quiet the first time. Just. I didn't, I didn't want to do it too loud just in case they were close. And then I did a little bit louder the next time. And that's all I did that time. And that's all I had to do. And it came right in. Nice. So what was her reaction to everything? I mean, I'm sure that she was jumping for joy. Yeah, she, she was real excited. And I mean, I could hear her just breathing real hard and she was shaking the whole time and they're out there. And then, especially when that Tom came in there, she was really got excited and, uh, after she got it, she was pretty darn exciting. I had the camera there and I filmed it all. So I got to get her reaction, which that's one reason I really do like just taking the camera. Not even just, not just for the show and any stuff like that, but just to, just to see and be able to uh, show family, friends and everything. Just that excitement because uh, you just can't get that from anything else. That's very true. Capturing those canon moments are extremely special, and especially for that moment right there. It's going to be ingrained in her mind for the rest of her life now with her with uh, with her shooting and stuff like that what did what was her choice of ammunition because i know some people don't like the the tss ammunition but what did she what was her uh her choice of ammunition for that trip um i it was uh i'm pretty sure it was i can't remember exactly what it was i think it was uh i think it was heavy shot um i don't think it was tss i was just heavy shot i think it had five six and seven shot in it and uh, it was a mixture and that's why i think she, i'm pretty sure that's what we shot it with i can't remember exactly i'm pretty sure that's what it was i got you yeah not just because uh, not everybody likes that that's that's strong kick other tss yeah. so it's like there's always got to be other alternatives for that particular round so at least she found something that she now i take it she was practicing with this round before that morning yeah Yep, we, I had one of those, uh, I had a chair set up and I always had the bog, uh, that death grip, because it just kind of helps hold it. And that's what actually what she shot off of. It's just a little more steady and a little easier to hold just till I get more used to it. But yeah, we shot on that and uh, we practiced at 20, 30 and then out to 40 yards. And we did a lot of practicing with that and uh, made sure she was all good and was familiar with everything and the gun and everything. And yeah. That's perfect then. So then after after your your guys's shoot there in ohio where'd you, so that's that puts us up to what six birds seven birds where'd you go after did you did you continue hunting in ohio or did you go on to a, another state after you connected or helped your girlfriend connect with a turkey no i ended up staying in ohio and then uh, i think before before she got hers i uh went out with a good friend of mine he took his daughter out i think it was the weekend before that actually that's when i killed mine on a saturday in ohio and then the next day i went out and i filmed a good friend of mine his daughter i think she's 12 or 13 and she shot a few turkeys but i got to go out there and film her shoot a shoot a turkey uh that was pretty neat we seen a lot of turkeys that day too and uh it was just a special moment because it was her and her dad and i sat outside the blind and got to film them and that interaction and everything that was i almost i enjoyed just 
being there with someone else and watching them shoot and filming them and getting all that anymore more than I even like shooting it myself. <laughs> Understandable. That's pretty impressive, man. That is, that is, that is something that is the, um, something that people would strive for to be able to, uh, capture those moments to be part of it and be able to coordinate with that with you. is just, as a, is a reward in itself. I'm glad you got to experience some of these, these, uh, triumphant moments. Yeah. It is pretty special and it definitely is yeah my uh favorite part of all the hunts is yeah being with other people when they do it and just seeing how happy they get for sure definitely so after the the father-daughter duo any where'd you go after that or was that pretty much the end of your season um i ended up uh, actually uh the the dad of the daughter that shot that we uh went back to that same property a few different mornings throughout the season there uh, whenever we both were free for a couple hours before work and there was one long beer in there we were just trying to get. He just, he'd always have hens with him. He never wanted to leave them. And then, so eventually on the, I think the third or fourth time, we put a ground, that, that's one, that's another neat thing about turkeys is uh, beer, it's hard to do this, but it, for turkeys, you can take a ground blind or any blind and pop it up right in the middle of a field and they'll come right, they'll come right out there and not be scared. But like a deer, if you do that, I mean, they're going to take, it's going to take a couple of weeks. They're not just going to walk right in front of it the next day, but there was a trail this turkey kept coming out on every morning after he was roosting there so we went and sat this pop-up line there and just put a hen out there because we had the hen and jake uh the other two or three days and he just didn't like it either so we just put the hen out there we put the uh, blind around the field right on the edge of that trail where he comes out and then he was in the same spot this fourth morning and we were calling and he was coming down that trail we didn't hear any hens this morning so we're like oh this is going to be good he's going to come out here and then just like, I mean, it, it never goes as planned. And he, I mean, he was right there inside the woods. We just couldn't see him probably 60 yards. We was so thick. We couldn't see him. Then all of a sudden he went quiet. And then we heard him gobble. He was actually in the field we were in, but we were in that blind. We couldn't see him. And we opened the side window and we could, he was down in the field below us probably 50 yards. He, he still didn't like the decoys. Just, he stood there. He wasn't afraid, but just kept gobbling. So we actually had to turn around the blind. I pulled, I took the camera off the tripod. I, I pushed down the little pop-up line window and got underneath that into the screen. Then he went out the other side and put his gun out the back. It was about a 50 yard shot. And I got to film him shoot that bird there on the, in the same field that his daughter killed. And so that was pretty neat too. He not, he, he shot at 50 yards and managed to kill it. Yeah. I was, I was surprised. Some of these guns are just, I mean, I'm, I'm hearing people shoot out to 80 and, but yeah, and actually it was the, he just bought the gun brand new and, he hadn't got a shot, uh, time to shoot it because he got, I think, the night before and it was dark and he took it out. And I was a little nervous about that far and without shooting it. But I, he said that someone had the same exact gun that he knew with the same choke and same bullet. And he said he was shooting about the 70. And yeah, he shot at 50. And it, I mean, it just dropped that I couldn't believe it. Oh, man. I'm looking forward to seeing I'm waiting for you to tag me in that film because just this, the fact that somebody shot something 50 yards with a shotgun, it's like, that's impressive because now if you did that with the bow it's like man psh, we're not worthy but man still with the with the 50 yard shotgun blast that's insane so what what gun did he have and what was the the barrel length do you do you do you recall it was a mock it was a mock the new mossberg uh it was an auto it was an automatic you didn't have to pump it was a mock i think it was a new one this year whatever the new mossberg is and i think he was shooting it was the tss something ts it was tss of something it was federal tss and 
the length, it, it wasn't crazy long. It was kind of in between a long barrel and the shorter barrels, like right in between there. I don't know exactly the length on it, but it was, it was like that. It wasn't crazy long, but it was just a nice size gun. And I don't know what kind of choke he had in the end of it. Uh, I don't know what it was, but I know that was the gun and that was the bullet he was shooting. Okay. That's pretty impressive though. I, I, I admire that. That's just the, to, to take a, to just take a, a shot like that. Now, did he, was it iron sight or did he put a, a red dot on there? It was just yellow, green, iron sight on the tip of it. <laughs> yeah, so that is, man, so that's pretty impressive. Though. At least at least he already had the the understanding of what that barrel and that choke can do with that combination of the ammunition. That's just, that's awesome. Yeah, it was pretty impressive. I mean, I was, I was blown away after it happened for sure. <laughs> What's the longest shot you ever taken on a bird? Um, I've taken one at, I think it was, I remember I snuck up on one in Iowa two years ago at that same property. Uh, and I think I shot him at, it was a 65, but we had a, we, we snuck up within 300 yards of him behind like an old tail fan. We got within 65 and I was only like comfortable at the 50, but, uh, the guy I was with, he said, you could probably take that shot. And, but it, it, it completely missed. It hit the dirt way in front of him and he walked away fine, but that was the farthest I ever shot. But the farthest I ever shot and killed, I think, was about 40, 45. And that was with my, uh, that was actually the first gobbler I got with an old uh, Rossi uh, single shot 20 gauge, uh, no choke or nothing. And it was my first time I was little and I didn't know how far he was and I just shot. But I mean, it, it did the job and it got him. It must have just, I think, one or two BBs him just right. But that was my first gobbler, and that was my little, just little Rossi single shot, and but it, it did the job just fine. Phenomenal, man. So, after the after the fifty five yard or sixty five yard shot, what what you do? Do you have any more hunts after that? Um, uh, this year, or are we talking? No, about, no, oh, no, no. After that, after that uh, encounter with the gentleman, after, with his new Mossberg. Um. I hunted in, uh, or yeah, then we, my girlfriend was the following weekend. And then this past weekend, I took my older brother out. We went back down there to that, uh, the same farm that my girlfriend killed on. And it was another one of those deals we got down there. I think Saturday evening, we went out in the same blind. Uh, we drove up in the field to go like our stuff up. We actually seen some Jason at one time with them. So we got our stuff set up for the evening and we called for a while and they didn't not coming in. And then we were, it was about a half hour before dark. We got down, we were driving actually to the other end of the farm and we seen the same turkeys probably almost a half a mile on the other side of the farm. They eventually made their way across the deep ravine around the pond and up on the other side of the property. So we thought they were going to roost there. We didn't see exactly where they roosted, but we got the next morning, which was this past Sunday. And, um, we went over there and we drove the side by side to where we last seen him and we parked. It was still before daylight and it was getting daylight and didn't hear nothing, didn't hear nothing. Then we actually, we started hearing gobbles back where we seen him the earlier the afternoon before they somehow within that last half hour, they must've went back across that ravine. I mean, it's a long ways, but they got back to that spot right by their rooster, right below that blind that we sat in the evening prior. So we drove around the farm. It was getting daylight, but it was real foggy that morning. So we parked us side by side in the woods. We had run across this field, probably about 200 yards. But it, I mean, it was daylight, but there's enough fog that they they were in the woods and they didn't see us somehow. We got in there and uh, they eventually came out in the field. It was three Jakes and a Tom. 
and they had no hens. There's no hens around. So they were coming. They're probably at 300 yards. They were coming, coming. They got within 150, and the, the Tom kind of held up. And the Jake's all came in there and they started messing around with the decoys. But that Tom just sat out there and gobbled, but he never came in. And I thought for sure once those Jake's came in that he would definitely come in there because he wouldn't be afraid. But yeah, he must have been nervous about something with the decoys or just scared of that Jake because. Eventually, the Jakes, they worked off, went back to him. They stood out there in the field, probably 150 yards, just gobbling for probably about an hour, hour and a half. We watched them. Eventually, they went off in the woods, and we ended up not getting him a bird this year because our Ohio the season ended yesterday for the uh, the south zone. But there's a north zone with, I think, four or five counties that you can hunt on this weekend and next weekend, too. But our, our part of Ohio ended, so we didn't get him a bird, but – that was basically his first time hunting this year. Uh, he just it was busy with stuff, but we still had an exciting morning, so it was still fun. That is exciting. So now are you done for the season then after 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 Wolf well, after yesterday? Yeah, I think so. I I thought we uh we thought I may go to some close states. I know my little brother might go to New York this weekend, and then uh a friend of mine possibly talked about me and him going to Pennsylvania, but other maybe possibly going there maybe this weekend for maybe Saturday, but other than that, I think probably done and just going to start working on getting stuff ready for deer season now. So yeah, sure, which is understandable. No, uh, well, hopefully, well, I'm 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 sure you're gonna tag me when you go to one of when you decide to make a decision to go further out east. So yeah, because uh, Minnesota they end this weekend and I'm a or no, they'll, I think they. They you could hunt all the way up to the 31st of May in Minnesota. I think same thing with Wisconsin as well. So, you know, I'm hoping when you're on your travel, so like when you're over in the, over in this neck of the woods here, just shoot up to, to Wisconsin or something like that. Cause I, I, uh, pump back up to public land about 2,600 acres worth. So I know there's birds oh. out there. I've heard them out there. I've seen signs out there. I just I never got in touch because of the, the brush is pretty thick and it's like, it's bluff country, man. It's, it is no joke. It's not for the faint heart, but you, you're used to hunting in uh, the Appalachian, so it's not going to be that surprising for you. Probably be a little bit easier. Okay, yeah, for sure. I'm. I definitely want to next year. I'm planning on doing more out west hunting, so I'm for sure going to be out that way. So we'll definitely uh, meet up and we'll have to do a hunt together for sure. Oh, Ben, that'd be fantastic. The only thing is, uh, if you if you if Wisconsin is going to be on your on your pl- on your plan, we have to you have to, the registration for like seasons one through four. You have to be in by. Uh, uh, f- December 10th, but I'll okay. remind you when we get closer to that date. So this way, then you're aware of it just to make sure that like, it's going to fit in your schedule. Cause I'm sure next year is going to be just as busy. Have you started plotting or planning your trip for out West next year? No, not yet. Not yet. But that's something I, I was planning on doing. And, and actually to go back in the season a little bit, uh, it was, um, it was two weeks ago, uh, my little brother that went with me to Iowa, him and his two buddies, they actually went out to Wyoming together. They booked a hunt at that Harrisburg show. They booked a turkey hunt out there, and they went out there, and they all three killed uh, Merriam's. Uh, I think it was two weekends ago, and they filmed They uh, filmed two of the kills, but they are some very pretty birds and pretty neat country out there. Yeah, I have a buddy of mine that's done it in the last two years, I think, or last three years. He's been out there, shot a Miriam every time. I wanted to go this year to go out to uh, uh, Nebraska and go out hunt towards Crawfordsville, way out there on the west on the west side of the state, because they had a season dedicated for strictly uh, 
archery season for folks. And that's all I pretty much do. And well, we started planning and well, Martin Archery Fest kind of trumped turkey season. So we're going to Martin Archery Fest here in, the, in about a month. So hopefully that'll, that'll be on my bucket list to do. But I know last or this past or this season, at the end of the season, come next year, they're going to be putting a cap on the amount of non-resident tags that Nebraska will allow. Okay. So uh, gonna, they're going to make it a little more difficult for a guy to get it. Otherwise, before, it's just over the counter, and you can get up to three tags for your season. They're like 152 bucks after taxes and stuff. Really? That's, yeah, that's pretty good. Definitely answer. Yeah, I hunted out there two years ago, and now fitter, but yeah, I was... I definitely want to go out out west like that and yeah hit some more states out there and out by you for sure definitely next year so you know is next year going to be the year you're going to focus on doing the grand slam or or is that still uh, a ways out yet before you can be able to put all the moving pieces together to hit that grand slam yeah i, I definitely i think i think next year i like to do it i i have actually every bird except for that florida osceola to get the average to get the four, the four slam. I got, I got a Rio years ago in Texas. Then I got the Merriam's there, but yeah, I think next year I definitely want to try. I tried last year. Uh, just didn't work out. Uh, but I definitely like to try uh, for sure this coming year and try to do it all in one year and film the whole thing. I know that's a, that is definitely a challenge. I know Pat Newcomb from Newcomb out or Newcomb blinds. He is on the, on the, he's got, I think he's got one more bird left to get the slam. But uh, I'm, I'm I'm rooting for him. Have you ever seen his blind that he created? Yes, I I, I seen it briefly at a show, and I, I want to get one because they're definitely uh, I would be nice for filming and hunting behind for sure. I, they are neat. Oh yeah, and plus this year he came out with the XL, so it's, it's it's designed for guys that like for myself that just are just uncomfortable setting or shooting off the ground. Well, as for bow hunting wise, I can't be that low for because even with the even with the 31 axle to axle it's still kind of it's i it's just like i'm not comfortable shooting that low and it's like an, and i want to be able to put a, ethically put out a shot and then plus if, I'm, if i want to be out the deer hunting because that's what i'll be primarily using it for i want to be in a chair because setting on the ground i get too fidgety i guess you'd want to say and i want to have that security around it and i also have a ghost blind too which is always fun i had a i had a two seasons ago I had this little basket six get within seven yards of me, saw the reflection, and he freaked out. He just turned around and just went behind me. And I, I was I managed to get him as he's coming back around with my with my front facing camera and managed to capture him as he's going around. It was a whole like 45 minute thing. It was crazy. One of the most fun interactions I've ever had. And that was the first time I realized that just because a buck snort wheezes at you doesn't mean he won't show up five minutes later. 50 yards away really yeah he showed up 50 yards away it was, it was so far away there was it was getting at dusk and there's and i'm shooting into the light turning into no light it's like i'm not gonna risk it but i just gotta wait for it to go dark this way i can get out yeah yeah i've always i've always seen those ghost blinds i've never tried one before i was always i've always wanted to see how that worked though but you use them quite a bit then I do. I do mostly ground and pound and such. And then uh, everyone. And then if I'm if I go on private land, some people will have our uh, ground bl or uh, tree stands or ground blinds for me to set in. So it's like I, I'll just kind of pick and choose what equipment I'm bringing. Like last year when I hunted up in uh, northern Wisconsin, the buddy that let me hunt. He already had a ground blind and tree stand. So it's like I didn't have to worry about bringing extra equipment with me, except for my uh, my harness and such. So I, it, it just made life a little bit easier to not have to bring so much gear with me. 
Yeah, for sure. So what do you have next on the docket for Dakota? What do you, are, are you going to now, is, are you done hunting for the season? And then are you, are you switching to fishing or are you just going to be going now focus into deer hunting? Um, I, I do a little bit of fishing, but I, I, we do a lot of, I do a lot of food plots and stuff like that for the deer. So I'm going to start transferring into, into doing all that and getting ready for deer season, setting up blinds and stands and just, I do a lot of work for that. I usually spend all summer long and fall and early fall getting ready for, for that. So that's going to be a uh, pretty busy time. Sure. And you set yourself up cause you're still doing the car detailing business too. Plus another side gig, aren't you? Yeah, I work full time for my dad with construction and then the evenings I do the detailing. So yeah, it's, it's becoming a pretty busy time of year. And then now I got to start uh, editing the show and everything like that. So yeah, it's starting to get pretty busy and everything, but, I enjoy it all and it all works out. That is so true, man. I've, I've really enjoyed doing the editing and such. I need to get more discipline and in, in creating more clips out of my podcast episodes and not sometimes I just, I just, I'm focused. Like I, I want to do so much, but it's like I, in order to do one thing, you gotta, you gotta put a lot of time into it. But anyways, now is there anything that we haven't touched base on that, that you want to, uh, talk about? Um, all right, we talked, I remember last time about any, uh, trade shows, but, uh, I, for sure, I'm actually going to go to one there and it's the one in Ohio down there by our farm. I for sure confirmed that it's, um, it'll be, I think it's the first weekend in August called the Jurassic Classic. And we're going to have our, uh, first booth there at that show this year. So we're pretty excited about that. Oh, congratulations. That will be fun. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited. It'll be, it'll be definitely a learning experience, I'm sure. but. Definitely something I'm excited to try out. For sure. Make sure you bring plenty of uh, merchandise for you, too. Because if, you, if you're going to be there, you might as well try to sell something while you're there. Yeah. Now, Dakota, have you thought about, since you're becoming more and more familiar with it, uh, what, what program do you use for editing? Isn't it Adobe? Where you do yep. your, with, with your, with you becoming more and more experienced with that program and your, and your uh, camera skills, have you ever thought about actually booking hunts as a cameraman and then like, and then turn around like, well, if you want me to, if it, or, or you do this instead of having you pay for you to fly out there and all that fun stuff, it's like buying me a tag and I will hunt and I'll film for you. Have you thought about doing something like that just to kind of uh, open up your avenue for getting into access to like a mule deer or elk hunt before you have get a chance to get drawn? Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, Actually, I've done that uh, quite a bit. When I first started, I actually would, I freelance uh, 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 filming different people and different shows and they pay me to film them. And then, yeah, last year I did a lot of, I would film uh, a friend of mine, uh, Chris Davis, and he has wild memories on the sportsman's channel. I would, I would film him basically until he would get something. And then in trade out, instead of pay, I would be able to actually hunt and he would film me in return. So I did that quite a bit there for a couple of years. And I, I didn't get to do it much this fall and this past spring. This was so busy, but that's something I definitely want to get back into and filming other people and yeah, and working out like that, doing different tags and hunts and other ways to yeah, make a little money at it too. Oh, that's awesome. I'm glad you're, I didn't, I didn't know that that was something that you, that you did uh, as a side, as a side gig for the, everything like that. I, cause I have a friend of mine that lives in Indiana and he was looking for a, uh, his name's, um, Jeremiah Hale. I, I can get, I, I could tag you in some of his stuff. And he was, he's, he's trying to do a, 
a veteran hunt. You try to do a veteran hunt every year, but it's just trying to find a competent cameraman that also has experience of hunting and stuff like that. I'll, I'll tag since you're so close to Indiana, I'll tag you a couple of things, and you guys can just start talking. And if you guys can come to a an agreement, that'd be fantastic. Plus, like giving a memory for a, a, a veteran to do that because he wants to take veterans out to Colorado and get them on on elk out there. Oh, really? Yeah, that. I'd definitely be interested in doing that. Yeah, and filming that, that would be definitely fun, especially yeah, for a veteran like that. That would be something I'd really be interested in. That. Definitely. That, I, then on top of that, too, I know there's uh, the guys out there at the Western Hunt Fest. They're they're always looking for guys. They want to start doing giving back to the veteran community too. So if you ever if you ever if you ever have an opportunity to go, if you ever want to go out to New Mexico and looking for a way to get out there, or New Mexico or Colorado, both of them they they live and hunt and all in that in that in that tri-state area there. So if you ever looking for a way to get out there, I can always introduce you to those guys. This way, you just kind of build that relationship. And then you got the Neistead Foundation out of out of uh, Texas. And they they do they do they're so booked up they do hunt so often that it won't be hard for you to get them on there to record for a, a veteran to be able to do that because I think that's a really good way to build that that uh, social karma to like get you in opportunities you never thought you would be able to get into you know I, I my guest last week was with um, Robert oh I can never pronounce his last name McLean he is the CEO of Fishfin he's based out of Dallas and veteran himself served in the uh navy and also in the air force and he was down on his luck and he got into the church and he met a man that believed in his vision or met a company or a group of people and they were angel investors and they started an app called fishfin and those who are interested in downloading the app it's pretty interesting in what it all it all encompasses and there's also a promo code too it's a b O A pod, all caps lock. You go into the referrals there and it opens up a lot of different features. You can play around with it. And what makes this, what I like about the app is that you can actually get in there and, and create a tournament. And what he uses, he uses stride or strife. It's a, it's a company where let's say Dakota, you want to host a tournament and it's, and it's a capture earth capture photo release type uh, program there. Or a tournament, you can you can you can run it, and when everybody pays their their buy-in or registration fee, all that money goes to there. So this way, it takes the the fraudulent idea out of it. And then, once the tournament's over with, and whoever has the biggest or the heaviest or the longest, whatever whatever the, the categories may be, the administrator can now pay that out. And I think that's a really good way of having that type of balance. Because this way, then you don't have to worry about having cash on you. You can always just pay as you, once you enter in the thing. And it's, I think that's a, a swell idea that makes the app different. And it runs similar to Instagram. And and he it, it's, instead of like scrolling up and down, it's swipe left and right. So he kind of got that from Tinder. It's like, hey, I like that idea. It's it's much different than, uh, than the scrolling up and down, like on TikTok and Facebook and all that fun stuff. Yeah, that sounds pretty neat. Something different for sure. And that, yeah, I'm, that's something I need to look at. You just start that. Uh, how long are you start that? Do you know? Or it's only been around for about a year or so. He's got about fifteen hundred people. You can book fishing trips there to it too as well. The nice thing is, as a guide, if you put your trip on there, and let's say you and I, we want let's, let's go down to Texas and go fishing. Well, if we book through this guide, he gets all of the money. 
Like there's a company called Fish Bookers and they're a middle man for people, but they take 15 to 30%. He takes nothing. And I think that is what makes it so remarkable because for you, let's say he decides to build an app regarding your own hunting and you want to start guiding folks as a turkey guide, there you go. It's a good way to get that word of mouth out there, but that's still here nor there because it's like he still has to focus on one project at a time. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I definitely have to look in that app. And yeah, I like that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And uh, one thing he does that makes him different than Fish Brain is that you can actually sell your GPS location. But there is a catch to it, though. You have to be able to prove that it's you're able to catch fish consistently out of this hole in order to sell it otherwise then it's like you 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 can you can get excommunicated real fast for selling a a, a bad location and people don't like when people do bad yeah yeah <laughs> yeah oh i haven't I, I, I don't know if you saw you saw some of the the videos and pictures i took on my okaboji trip didn't you oh yeah yeah man that was awesome. it was a lot of fun you like you said you have as much fun like getting out there and getting people in front of that I was hanging out with a large group of guys and just fishing. And uh, the real fun is not on the water. It's once you dock the boat and you start flowing all the fish up and hearing everybody's stories because this group of guys have been getting together for 30 years, like 29 years. And and uh, we the, the resort we've been going to, they've been going to it for the last 19, 17, you know, 18 years. They've been going to it the last 18 years. But listening to all their stories and – the amount of grief they give everybody it's just it's very cool to see that camaraderie to be able to do all that stuff and that's just something that i think that makes a, a good friend group so epic is being able to get together they do it twice a year so i'm this october i'm going back out there i take a I take a week off from hunting and i'll go out there uh at least it's during october not during the rut so it's which is even better so i'll be able to take advantage of uh some more fish and it's usually it's it's not about the like specific species it's that we go out there we fish for meat and whatever we don't use consume ourselves during the trip we will they usually host big uh i guess you want to say gatherings about once a week every thursday they do something new and they do something different like this week they're doing a uh i think it's corn dogs but 20 30 people show up and it's just a good way to get out and bs and enjoy the uh the time yeah that sounds like a blast that's a good idea i like that yeah i know i gotta i gotta fish fry this uh thursday coming up and i'm bringing i'm inviting all of my work employees so i got a little pressure on me that i'm going to add the and my wife is going to help me out too and we're going to fry up some fish and uh have salad we're gonna we're also gonna have the fixings for taco salad too which is gonna be just add another element to it and then yesterday we, we, we came up with this idea of using uh, Barrel Whip, Sriracha, Honey, and this flavor called Candied Bacon from Spiceology. And, oh, it just slaps. The way it works is that when, you, when, you, when, you, when we were tasting it, the heat catches you in the back end, so you actually get to enjoy the entire flavor, and it peaks. It just gets so hot. It only gets so hot, and you're able to enjoy the rest of the, your, your – uh, whether you can use it for um, – we're going to be using it for a dip the fish in. And we only did a small amount because we wasn't sure how it was going to turn out. But boy, it just turned out delicious. Yeah, that sounds good. I'll try some of that sometime. Yeah, I will. I'll, I will get you the the ingredients. So, well, if there's nothing else left to talk, hey. But also, um, I, do you have time to stick around and do a cooking podcast? 
don't matter to me. I, 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 or do, do I have to do anything? Or I don't know any really good cut or recipes or anything, but. Oh, okay. I was, was just kind of curious. Cause you, you, you've, you yourself shot four birds this year. I've, I figured you'd have to have had some experience trying, experimenting with different, uh, recipes with all the different wild turkey you've shot over the, over the last few years. I, I guess yeah, there is there is uh, something. I, it's pretty simple, but I I do have something for uh, turkeys actually. I could I could talk about that. I mean, it's pretty simple, but perfect. And well, well, folks, we're gonna we're gonna end this podcast on this high note here. Our cooking episode will come out on Friday morning, so you guys can watch it there, and hopefully, you have a wild bird you want to use his recipe for. But anyways, I want to say thank you for everybody that turned into the episode tonight, and we'll let you go. But before I do. Dakota, what is the best ways to find and follow Legendary TV? I um, best ways on Instagram, Legendary TV, Facebook, and we got YouTube as well. And uh, we're also on Carbon TV there, so you can watch some episodes there. But those are the four, and we're on TikTok now, also Legendary TV. Also, I was wondering if you're on TikTok. I haven't seen you come up in my feed yet, so I'm sure I'm going to go find you. But anyways, I want to say thank you for everybody tuning in. Go to the link tree. You can subscribe to everything. Uh, this podcast will be out on Wednesday if you want to listen to it. And uh, have a great night, folks.